0: The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into
1: Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, episode 28. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got uh, Rich Diaz, the Tom Brady of Macro with Acorn Macro Consulting. He's got the uh, bright orange shirt on today. And we've got Keith uh, dressed up for the occasion, Keith Dicker with Ice Cap Asset Management. Uh, welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping news here. I know a lot of you guys have been emailing me, bombarding for tickets to the, loony, the, the live Looney Hour event. Uh, the tickets, uh, as of this release now, uh, are available so you can check out our my well any of our twitter accounts really anywhere on social media it's going to be posted it's an event bright page 30 bucks a ticket it's basically going to be at the sheraton wall center in downtown vancouver it's going to be we're going to be doing a live podcast there's going to be booze appetizers uh it'll be a good time we'll do some you know some handshaking um and to get some pictures with keith everyone's favorite boomer there so uh, yeah, no, it should be a good time. So obviously, um, yeah, check out our social feeds. That's where the tickets, the link to the tickets will be posted. And, uh, last but not least, all we ask is that you share this podcast, with at least one friend or person. Uh, we don't have advertising as of right now, but, um, let's get into the show. Um, theme of this podcast for the last, you know, what, six, seven months we've been running. This has been inflation and, uh, Still going, still not transitory, uh, at least not yet. Um, Canada's CPI inflation, I don't even know what we're hitting now. It was 6 point something. Anyways, it was a 30-year high. That's all you really need to know is the 30-year high. Um, There's talks about Canada, apparently Stats Canada is adding used car prices to the inflation data. Uh, So we should hit they're saying we should hit probably 8% year over year inflation uh for next month once those used car prices are added into the basket. So, um Rich, I don't know if you have, if you want to break down the inflation numbers for us again. Um you guys might be getting sick of this, but it the, it's a story that doesn't seem to be going away, so let's touch on it briefly.
0: Yeah, hi. Uh yeah, let's do it. Um I think it's a, we, i mean until it, until it breaks and we can change the subject i think we need it's important to inform people i think it's um also to remind everybody that we were told it was transitory let's keep hammering that one home um all right so inflation headline inflation was 6.66 the devil's mark um versus um expectations of 5.7 which i thought was interesting actually um often what i look at is sort of what the consensus estimates are versus the actual and the fact that there was um, such a big, uh, still such a big dislocation in that, I think is really sort of telling about what, uh, where people's views are. Um, we call, some people call that the inflation surprise or, or data surprise. So that's something I was looking at. Uh, things that stood out for me um, were goods inflation, which um, was at 9%. Um, uh, not to beat a dead horse, uh, but just imagine what it would be like if we weren't impor- um, uh, if we were importing energy rather than exporting energy, I think that's something really important to remember, um, food, which people, if I remember correctly, still eat. Um, and that's really kind of an interesting one because it's just such an important part of uh, the, the sort of the lower your income and your asset, the, basically the poorer you are, the more you spend on food, um, Uh, um, And that just continues to rise. We're at like 8%. um, So that's just continue. And that's, and that's the reason I'm bringing that up is because, you know, for a long time, for most of 2020 and 2021, it was actually quite stable um, below four. And now it's just, it's gone basically vertical. Um, Something else that's gone vertical is housing um furnishing so i guess once people people have bought their houses and now they're trying to fill them up with stuff so maybe that's why but that's a you know you know 10 15 year high etc i just got Um, a new couch so my bad (laughs) my bad you've contributed Um, another thing i think that's going that's gone vertical but i think is probably a good thing is recreation education and literature and books and stuff like that so hopefully people are getting back out there you know stripping off those masks and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, reconnecting with the environment, <laughs> unacceptable view, Re- connect- reconnecting, with, uh, reconnecting with, their, with the nature and stuff. So that was pretty good. Um, the thing that I wanted to, the two, two last points, just so I don't um, draw Keith's ire, which is keep an eye on shelter. Um, shelter continues to ratchet higher and higher. Shelter is the largest component of the CPI basket. It's 39% of core. So just keep that in mind. And we're at um yeah, 6.8 now. <laughs> so that's crazy. Whoa. And then, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to add to that as well. I think people,
1: uh, Canada, I think, tracks their housing inflation a little bit different than the US. So they yeah. actually factor in, like, basically, like your mortgage payment factors into that, right? So that when you yeah. have, like, rising interest rate environment here, um, your debt servicing costs increase, which basically means, like, your housing inflation increases. So that's kind of like a little uh, caveat there that people should be aware of. Yeah.
0: But, um, the other thing that you're wearing a-
1: hypo- house prices, hypothetically, I mean, we're seeing it right now in the suburbs could be coming off a little bit, whatever, five, six, seven, ten 10%. Um, but because
0: mortgage rates are going up, like housing inflation thus is increasing. So, um, totally agree. Know. But that's, I mean, that's the central, that was the central theme of mine. It's not transitory. Uh, narrative which i think is really important that people remember it's just such a large component of people's baskets uh rich poor i mean it's just what people spend on housing seems natural it is natural um and so that's why it's just i mean until something happens that number we're going to be dealing with um above average and above target inflation for a long time and the final piece which i think is really interesting and maybe we'll get we'll touch on it later on in the In the podcast um steve which is the the producer price index which is what i use to sort of you know i don't like models people who work with me know i think they're silly and you get married to them but um the little sort of indicator that i've built for myself um tracks core ppi which is producer price index that strip out uh, energy um and it's actually showing that we might have reached sort of if not next month and the month after, but we're starting to reach sort of the peak in the energy impulse in core um, consumer basket. Um, and that's sort of, I think that's a really sort of interesting um, point, right? As the, uh, the bank of Canada is hiking, which Keith I'm sure will touch on. We're about to reach um, peak inflation impulse in Canada. So
1: yeah, um, I that's have actually, a, on that. I made a Twitter bet. I think I wagered $500 to this man's charity of choice as winner Winner has to donate that or, or loser has to, to send it to a charity or whatever. But um, that basically I said that inflation would peak in Canada in by the end of Q2. Um, that seems to be obviously somewhat of the consensus, but I think a lot of people seem to be also missing that. Uh, I'd like to clarify here that... The the loony hour has been correct since we started the show. I don't know what it's been now. Obviously, we're on 27 episodes, but we we've been saying for 27 episodes that it's 28, not, 28. I don't know. Anyways, it's not transitory. It's not <laughs> transitory, but we do think from a rate of change perspective, right? Like so, we talked about like next month you're gonna have inflation hitting eight percent, and maybe we get eight and a half, and then you're gonna start to see that rolling over where it goes from eight and a half to seven and a half to six to five. Um and yeah, inflation will probably stay elevated above you know the BOC's two percent, but um, you're going to see it coming off these like headline screamers where everyone's freaking out, panicking. I think you're going to see those those numbers obviously start to ease up. But uh, Keith would love to get your your thoughts on on what's going on here.
2: Uh, so I was originally how's my sound today guys I know last week it was a little inferior Yeah, people
1: are really not happy the boomer and technology they don't mix too well
2: <laughs> but we're uh we're, we're working on it so I'm angry. I you're good yeah I'm good to go here okay uh let's see so when the inflation story first broke out I, I was in the the transitory camp and the reason for that or I should say I, I assigned a higher probability of being in, in that environment than as full-blown hyperinflation, which is what we're getting into. And the reason for that was because it was my expectation that global supply chains will, will get back online, You know, that the COVID shutdowns were, they, they were f- f- cluing up, finishing up, things will get back to work and stuff like that. That was the assumption. That assumption is wrong because obviously, you know, like Shanghai is shut down and that is probably one of the biggest stories out there right now from an economic perspective It's going to have a huge impact. Uh, Obviously, the war in Russia and and Ukraine, that is having impact, especially for Europe, which continues, by the way, so I think somebody was asking uh, what my target price was for uh, euro currency. And uh, it's zero. So I'd like to be, I think, I think it just breaks up. I really don't think it can continue. And I, we'll go into more details on that in, a, in another episode. But um, anyway, just That's just not to be imminent, clear. by the way. But uh, I think Keith's long-term view
0: is zero. His yeah, long-term so, goal is to break up the euro.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's my goal. Uh, I, have, I have lots of friends in, in the eurozone, by the way. And uh, they would not want it to go to zero. No, no, Um, I'm kidding. kidding. However, but this morning, for example, to give you an idea, I I tweeted it out. Well, well, this is yeah, this is Thursday, right? For us recording it. Um, So the ECB, one one of one of the lads at ECB, he announced that I forget what the the words were. (sighs) Did you? I remember. I can't remember his words were exactly, but something to the effect that we're we're going to try to raise rates to zero percent. Think think about that. Raise rates so they they hit zero. Of course, it means you're already negative. To do that, right? No one else in the world can do that. By the way, that's why Europe is so awesome when it comes to banking. They can do things not even the Americans can do at the Fed. Again, raising rates so it gets to zero percent. Uh, I can, I can give you, uh, I can give you
1: the verbiage. The ECB okay. could lift policy rates above zero before the end of the year, unless the eurozone economy suffers a severe shock, and it might have to even deploy quote, restrictive policy to target surging prices under control, governing council member Pierre Wunsch
2: said. Hmm. Yeah, Pierre is just blowing it out right now. So the, uh, but think about it. So the ECB, so the Bank of Canada, we're talking a second, like they're they're supposedly the market is saying they're going to raise rates by 2% or 200 basis points over the next eight months. I don't think that's ever been achieved before. You know the the Americans are raising rates, the Brits are raising rates, the Aussies, the Kiwis, you name it. And here are the Europeans. They're saying, you know what? We might raise rates by year end. I think like they're not even close to to the ballpark. Anyway, that that's one of the big things. So back to the uh, the inflation story again. Um, you know, obviously this transitory term that they use. And, and grant, central bankers, they have to say that, right? They have to. They couldn't come out on day one and say. Yeah, the house is on fire, run. You know, they, they can't do that, of course. So they try to, you know, walk into a trot and then a canter and then a, a gallop. I think I got those right. So I've been introduced to the riding world recently, and I'm just learning the right, the right terms. It's uh, nice being a billionaire, eh? <laughs> <Your> yeah, <mansion. laughs> I know. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: giddy well, up, giddy up. But the big thing is, I made the assumption that we would get back on track for everything. And, and that's not that's clearly not happening. So, you know, Rich mentioned that, hey, maybe we reached peak inflation now this year. Steve has made a bet, you know, for Q2, see the high number, uh, just get, you know, here's a pitch, get Acorn Macro Consulting to calculate the number for you and you might win, Right. Um, however, I think we're, we're headed for, for something else here. And probably the most significant event of this past week that really caught my attention and all the guys I had chat with, especially the European guys, these, these guys were just like blowing up with laughter and then just cringing at the same time. But, you know, we, we, it was like after a 20 minute rambling speech about nothing, the most powerful man in the world shook hands with an invisible man. So this week, uh, Biden, President Biden did this like, beach, oh. uh, sorry, speech, it was incoherent and he, he turns around and he's trying to shake, And there's no one there. And, and this is the leader of, of the free world, supposedly. And, and that's my point here is that, so, you know, we know the numbers, he had 85 million votes for him at the last election. That's 20 million more than Obama had back in 2012 which at that time shattered all reckons. I know you got, you know, population growth and all that stuff, but the votes that went to Biden in the last election, like it was just astonishing how many votes this guy achieved. And now he's, you know, people are mocking him all over the world. Even CNN, MSNBC, they're starting to turn the other cheek as well. Um, Harris is not a candidate to step up either. So there's, there's clearly other decision makers be behind the scenes. You know, they're pulling the strings and a lot of things here. However, at its, if, if we continue on this current uh, trajectory, there's a very low probability of Democrats taking back the House or the Senate in the fall. The only way they can stand a chance is if somehow the White House is able to solve some kind of major crisis out there. Uh, so whether they do increase the war rhetoric and they get involved and, you know, they, they, they blame the Russians and, and Putin for it, or, you know, the economy crashes and then they're able to rescue it very quickly. But I'm just letting you know that do not underestimate the weakness and the lack of popularity right now down in, in the U.S. and in the, at the White House, Um as as a as an environment coming up where nothing will happen, I, I'm just suggest strongly suggesting something is going to happen, and and again, I think it'll be it could be on the geopolitical side. You know, they'll, you know, they, they got a pretty big stick. They can poke someone if they want to, or the or the economic side that we talked about before. You know, raising rates isn't going to crush inflation anywhere. You know, you got to crush the economy, you know, crush the demand side, then that will bring it back under. But that's the initial thoughts on on the inflation where we're going.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's, um, I think I just, well, I'd like to clarify a few things as well, just on on our part. So, I mean, yeah, it is kind of funny because people are like, yeah, it's just this whole inflation thing. It seems like it's a kind of a one-sided trade at this point. Like, we've been talking about it. We've, for the most part, have not really been in the transitory camp. But, like, you know, if you go back to, like, what, Rich? I mean, you tell me, like, if you go back to, like, October, November of 2021 there, getting towards the year end i think most people in their models are probably saying oh, okay well inflation from rate of change perspective probably would have peaked out very early q1 but then you you throw on all of a sudden you throw on a war and with you know in, in in ukraine and then you throw in like you know locking down three quarters of china um you know all of a sudden that that you know you can't model everything perfectly
0: So, I mean, that's true. And that's not true. I'm going to pump my own tires here for a minute, if I may, Um, which is I wrote a note in April of 2021. And in my head, inflation was going to get to 5% without even breaking a sweat. That's global headline inflation. So I think there's, I think there's some, conf- you know, you get you get raked a little bit over the coals, which I think is is a little unfair because I think you you put yourself out there, and I think anyone who puts their stuff out there and and tries to ch- and just learn and challenge and discuss, I think you're always going to make some mistakes. But I think the thing that we've gotten you've gotten right and we've gotten right is that policymakers. M- it was a profound miscalculation, and this, and and it's. I feel like it's it's really kind of Monday morning quarterbacking that everybody's now on the inflation kick after all these months. When July twenty twenty one, October twenty twenty one, the BOC themselves were telling us that inflation was still not going to be an issue. And so I think um, you know, for people, with, you know, you know, not to be too much, not to you know, not to be too much of an arrogant prick, but the the point that you know, people like me who were ridiculed, frankly, for 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 arguing that you know, ten percent of GDP and deficit spending and you know, four hundred billion dollars in liquidity, well, maybe that might lead to increased prices or housing booms or this or that, and I think it's. It's I think it's um, in a way, I think it's really kind of rich that people are saying, oh, well, you know, you've got it wrong now. I think I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. That's sort of the job that we've chosen to do. And, and, and I'm happy to take those slings and arrows. I think the other thing that I think is really important, just relating to the political issue that Biden is dealing with in, in the U.S. And then I think that Justin Trudeau is probably dealing with here at home is that I submit to you that politicians and politics are lagging indicators, not leading indicators. And so I think that that's, um, and and they've made that very clear over the history of time and humanity. And so in a weird way, I think the fact that politicians are obsessing and talking and that it's become the political kind of uh, bête noire um, below the border and above the border, I think actually speaks to the fact that we've probably seen the last of it. Um, And then whether it's math through base effects or because supply chains, despite what's going on in, in Shanghai, are slowly thawing. I think that, yeah. Okay. So we hit eight and nine, but what matters is sort of um, where if we stay there and how long, not, you know, everyone knows that those numbers are bogus anyway. I mean, I've tweeted it today. Someone's like, are you kidding me? Food inflation, 7% it's gotta be way higher. I agree with you. But so, and so that's why I think in general, we should be very, very wary of use weary, wary. I never, I always screw that up. But anyways, we should be very careful of using politicians as leading indicators when they, they follow the mob, you know, they don't lead it. And so that's, and so I think that, you know, just back to, to your original point, Steve, I think I think we've done, a, you know, we've, we're going to get stuff wrong here. I've gotten stuff wrong. Um, basic materials trade is still <laughs> the one that got away. But um, in general, I think we've sort of we've got, we've nailed that. And I think it's, and I think it's right for us to now question if it's sustainable that inflation stays at eight, nine, 10%. Speaking of politicians
1: following, uh, not leading, um, you know, Just was, as soon as you said that, it made me think. Uh, we had Justin Trudeau out this week um, saying that oh. in, in uh, multiple press conferences saying uh, that foreign, foreigners were, were driving up our housing stocks, so we had to get rid of them, and uh, that population growth might have been growing in excess of our ability to add new housing supply, all of which everybody in Canada has been well aware Croned. of. So <laughs> four or five, six years. Uh, so now obviously because he's, uh, under, under threat here, uh, obviously a uh, complete one eighty. which yeah, it's, it's these guys will say whatever they need to say. It's the same like the bank of Canada, right? Like, Oh, we're, we're, we're so tough and we are going to beat inflation with a stick. And, um, you know, and then you look at like household debt and government debt and corporate debt and you're like, well, I mean, how tough can you really get? Um, so speaking of, so Bank now, who, who we've kind of dogpiled on um, throughout the beginning of the year. This is the beginning of the year, right? They called for eight rate hikes. I think they've upped it to nine. You guys all know my view anyway, has been three to four. But you go 8 to 9, they're now calling for 75 to 100 basis point increase at the next BOC meeting. They're saying that that there should be a decent probability of that happening because it's like the right thing to do. Um, What I will say is if we get to... You know, just keep in mind that Scotia is also saying house prices aren't going to correct. So, I mean, either their rate right hike forecast is wrong or their house price forecast is wrong, and perhaps both, because I, all I can tell you is from a housing perspective, house prices are already declining, uh, which we've talked about in the show before, but we're seeing that more predominantly in large parts of Ontario and Greater Vancouver, the two most important markets um, to policymakers. So, you're already seeing price declines, and we've only raised rates by what, 75 basis points. So if we're gonna get in another, what, 225 basis points, I guess this year is what they need. Um, Keep in mind that, just for clarification for you guys, again, to get into the weeds of the housing market here. So we've talked about this before, where if you're on a variable rate mortgage, four out of the five big canadian banks scotia is the only one that doesn't have this product but most canadian banks if you go directly through them is they have what's called a, a variable rate mortgage with a fixed payment so even if the bank accounter raises rates you know 100 150 basis points like your mortgage payment will stay the same you'll pay less towards your principal you'll pay more towards your interest once you start if you get Uh, basically a 300 basis point increase in the BOC's overnight rate, right? That changes your prime rate by 300 basis points that then changes your variable. There is a trigger on these fixed rate mortgages. That makes sense, right? So like the payment stays the same, but at some point you start getting to this negative amortization. Like if the bank account was to raise like say 400 basis points, like, The the banks, it becomes a negative amortizing mortgage. So they actually, there actually is a rate reset, Um, and I can actually tell you guys what 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 mine is just for everybody's sake here. So my rate right now, my variable rate is one point two percent. It says there's a trigger here that if the overnight, basically if that rate goes to four point five percent, which would be roughly like um, basically about three hundred basis point increase, uh, roughly that will actually trigger a reset and and a new amortization schedule. So I'd be fine. But I mean, think about the vast majority of Canadians here that like you're just going to reset like a huge chunk of these variable mortgages. Like I just don't think people are actually thinking this through and the ability of like households and like the systemic risk that, that that would then create. Um, And just to give one more sort of clarification here on the variable rate mortgages, we do have a data point on that, which is uh, as of right now, so variable rate mortgages as a share of um, monthly mortgages issued. So we've been hovering around 55% roughly. So 55% of all new mortgages being issued or created over the past year and a half have been variable mortgages. So you basically, since the pandemic, right, the BOC cut rates to zero and everyone just piled into variable mortgages.
2: So you, Steve, I have a question for you, Steve. Um, So I know know with your example, the variable rate has to go up to 4%, but everyone isn't on that same scale. But what you're saying is basically if if overnight rates go up, say, 250, so two and a half percent, from current levels. Am I hearing you right? That there's a probability that a lot of variable rate mortgages are going to have a a reset amortization schedule. Yeah. There would be a decent, that's like a
1: guess. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There would be a decent chunk for sure. That would have to reset. And then you also have to think about what about all the people that are now like coming off of their mortgages and they have to go and renew, right? Like your subject, every basically every mortgage in Canada resets or renews every five years. Right. So I mean, five years ago, the variable was probably two and a half. I mean, if we get what the Scotiabank is calling, your variable is probably going to be three and a half to 4% by the end of the year. So, you know, yeah. You'd be debt levels at-
0: are 20% higher, right? Or yeah, much, much higher.
1: I mean, yeah, I don't know. Rich, you probably got better data on this. But, like, I mean, I was chatting with my buddy, uh, Ben Rabideau, um, who runs uh, the research firm in Canada, but he was saying he has his through his models, he's saying Canadian household debt servicing ratios will hit record highs
0: in Q1 or Q1 of next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's not very, you know, that's actually not that difficult, right? Just to give you yeah. just to provide some context and I'll include this chart in, in on for, for those on YouTube, which is Canada's household debt service ratio is 13.8%. So what is the debt service ratio? It's the portion of household disposable income required to meet debt obligations. Seems straightforward enough. And the problem is, is that that ratio has been basically flat for almost 10 years or so. It's been hovering just under 14%. So what does that mean? The trick about that though, is that the interest component has been steadily declining. That makes sense too, right? If you have interest rates fall, then naturally your interest component um, has been steadily declining along with it. But the problem is, is that our the total debt relative to GDP, relative to disposable income, relative just in absolute terms has been climbing higher and higher and higher and higher. And so that's the thing with leverage, right? That's, it's a lever. And so as you get further and further out that, you know, Um, And further and further out that branch, every little, you know, tremor um, reverberates, it levers, obviously, the exposure and, you know, the gains that you may get um, from a return on equity perspective, but also the pain that you might feel if you can't service your debt, or if you want to service your debt, but you have to forego spending on other discretionary or non-discretionary items in, in your sort of in your consumption basket. And so that's, and that's, so I, I've never done the math um, to that degree with uh, what you're referencing, but I can just, I can just tell you very easily if you, if you add just the way that the math is set up, if you know, another 200 basis points, basically on the interest and you're, you're in a world of hurt, really. I think that that's the the upshot.
1: I think the last time the debt servicing ratio there crept up was in 2018, right? And that was when we basically slipped into like. A yeah. mini recession/ slash housing slump et cetera, et cetera. yeah
0: that's exactly right. So I think it was at 15% um, in 2018 and then obviously it collapsed but but that's a function of you know, a bunch of other different things but um, but the, the the you know sometimes you have to sort of ignore those you know deep troughs and just sort of look at the trend and the trend of the total number has been steady at 14% and the trend of the interest component has been declining. That interest number just starts to get higher and higher it's trouble. So, yeah, I mean, that kind of brings me to my next question. And
1: maybe this is for Keith here, but like, so I'm kind of like, you kind of look at like all this, the, these scenarios playing out. And, you know, we've talked about like a financial event playing out. And, and I think, I think without a doubt, at least in Canada, like that financial event would be like a severe downturn in housing and, and a household balance sheet, uh, recession, in terms of, you know, if we, if these higher rates really do materialize, which they already are on the path to doing. So what about like, you know, and then we can talk about the Canadian government, obviously we've blown massive deficits and didn't lock in a lot of that debt over long, long-term. So like, you know, the amount of interest payments that they're going to have to pay if the, again, Scotia's right. And we get 300 basis points of rate increases, like the fiscal position of the Canadian government looks like a train wreck, but I think you can also make a similar argument for the U S right. I mean, I think U S government debt to GDP is at what, 130%, um,
0: which typically you calculate it, but it's a lot and it's, yeah, it's up there.
1: Yeah. And I think there's like that, I mean, there's that research out there from, I think it's Hirschman capital. which is like every sovereign nation with, you know, public debt north of 110% of GDP is always, defaulted or 84 out of 85 default or something. Keith, do you see like a scenario playing out as a, like a possibility and like maybe what the probability event is of like, okay, you know, the fed starts raising rates, they get 50, 75, hundred basis points in rate hikes, something kind of blows up and they're, they're almost like forced back into like QE. even though you've got inflation still potentially elevated, like you're basically forced to do QE in like an inflationary spike. Yeah, I know. Actually, like, that's my... I mean, that, sorry, just to just to add to that, because like, I mean, maybe this is an add on to that that question, which is like, I mean, isn't that kind of what the BOJ is doing right now, Bank of Japan? Uh,
2: well, no, well, the BOJ they're not raising rates, but that is my expectation for what's going to happen, specifically in uh, in Europe with, with the ECB. So they I mean, they're talking about maybe raising rates, but they could be the central bank that raise raises overnight rates, but then they'll keep other rates where they are to sort of offset them. Uh, but then they'll actually increase QE. I, I can totally see them doing that. And that's because the banking system is really insolvent over there. They have never they never did write off the bad loans from the 0809 9 crisis. So anyone, anyone listening who, you know, they're, you know, a, a good investor and they look at Book, uh, sorry, book value for the European banks say, oh, wow, that's a great value compared to the Canadian and American banks. It, it just means the book value is wrong. And everyone in the world, we, we all know this. And for anyone who disputes this, I always say to them, name one foreign investor who's injected capital, equity capital into any Eurozone bank over the last 15 years. And I say to them, I say take it, as long as you want to come up to find the answer because, you know, it, it, it hasn't happened. Uh, but that, that's the scenario I see playing out, Steve. And I, I think that the central banks will continue to hike rates until something goes, you know, something will, will break here. Uh, so again, with the Bank of Canada, I, I know that the rates that you were passing out earlier was I think Scotia Bank's expectations. But right now, the market is, uh, is now implying that there's going to be a, another 50 basis point hike on the June 1st meeting. And I think the loony hour just moved the market because as we were talking, the, the the implied rate went from, you know, 53 basis points up to 58. It literally just blinked as Steve was talking. So you're a market mover today, which which is pretty good. Boom. Boom. I think, though, the one thing, uh, you know, we're talking about maybe like, is there an event out there that's going to, you know, cause something to, to go offside, but it's it's already happening. And um, so like in the Canadian bond market right now, the uh, long-term Canadian bond, like the 10-year bond, and there are funds, like the biggest bond ETF in Canada is is based on this. And uh, so that's down about 17.5% since the high in mid-2020. And we're down like 11%, 12% year to date. I mean that's that is crushing the soul out of investors, and for those of us uh, who were around then. But in, in 1994, that that's the last time really that you know central banks started you know shocking the market. Um, so I was yeah I was working back then, and um, so the the uh, the U.S. the Federal Reserve they started raising rates aggressively. And they call it the bond market massacre. So look it up in in 94, but it it just crushed everyone. And that exact same market experience is happening right now. So, you know, I talked about this, or ranted on it last time, maybe even lectured really, but again, bond investors are, are getting screwed right now. So the question is, if you're the Bank of Canada or the Fed or anyone else, you know that, hey, if you continue on this cycle, you're going to make the pain even more profound. And at some point then, you know, you know, people chime in, Hey, when do we buy this? You know, is there an opportunity to buy? Cause you always want to buy low and sell high and everything. Um, but uh, most bond investors will bail. They could end up, you know, getting sold other strategies, which inherently have even more risk like equity markets and, Preferred shares and stuff like that. So, again, like you could have the the most conservative investors in the world right now. They're, you know, they're walking straight on this double whammy. So, again, like it's messy out there. It's incredibly messy. And if the economy starts to roll over again, which I suspect will happen later on this year, um, you know, again, it's a pretty, uh, pretty toxic mix out there for conservative investors.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, Rich, I don't know if you, I don't know uh, if you have any chime in thoughts there. I just, I mean, just to Keith's point there, I mean, he always talks like, you know, reversing course when the, you know, economy goes in the dumps. I mean, I always just look at it from, from my housing market perspective, because I know in in Canada, that's roughly 20% of GDP. And so when I see housing activity rolling over and prices coming off, I just go, okay, well, probably not that much longer till, till till we start seeing that in economic numbers. I mean, maybe that's another six or seven months from now, but um, that, that's, that's how I always sort of look at things from a bigger
0: macro perspective, but Rich, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, so I think that the, I just, what you guys have described, um, you, I think, you know, Keith, you've laid out a path and Steve, you've laid out a path and that I sort of, that's the path I think that's going to happen. And the way that if you want to impress your friends at the bar, the, what it's called, or some, or a girl or a boy, you say it's called financial repression. I mean, that's really what, The world we are entering in is whoa Um, whoa whoa
2: whoa this this is how you (laughs) impress a a date hey i'm richard diaz with global macro consulting you know we're in a financial
0: repression i want to buy
2: you a drink and talk about financial repression
0: (laughs) does Um, that line work
2: does that work uh
0: sadly that's never worked (laughs) still a virgin Um, but anyways, you know, one can hope. Anyway, so I mean, but that's I mean, that's what it is. That's the world we're living where they um where central bankers basically don't want to let interest rates rise. Um, and it's happened before. Um, you know, we've talked we've touched on it before. Um, you know, between 1946 and 1962, um, you know, basically you had um, you know, you had central sorry, after World War II, rather, the there was no I mean, the Fed was less important, let's just say. Um, But what they did was they kept interest rates much, much lower than inflation for a long, long time. Um, And that it's an important sort of lesson, right? Because if you look at the real return on bonds, it was disaster. You lost an incredible amount of money. Um, I can't exactly isolate. I can't remember exactly which years, but there was a time. I mean, you lost a lot of money in real terms. And then the other thing that's really important to remember um is that in real terms equities did also also did really really bad during that 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 time you know there was like I, again I, forgive me it's know I mean, i'm a little tired this morning dropped my mom at the airport so i can't remember exact dates but um the there was like basically like a 20 or 15 year period or sorry a 10, 10 or 15 year period where basically you had in real terms your equity market returned basically nothing or it it was maybe two or three percent over that though that spread and so that's and then that's where you know for me as when i talk to my clients um and when i write sector selection country rotations become so so important but the upshot really is that we're in an era of financial repression I, i don't see that going away anytime soon steve Well, yeah, I mean, that's a good point because
1: it's like everyone's like, "Eh, you said rates couldn't go up. And it's like, and then you're like, oh my God, guys, like the thesis is still intact, which is like inflation's at seven. The BOC rate is at one right now.
0: Hello? That's exactly right. That's exactly it. I mean, whether whether or not it's, I mean, sorry, I'm repeating what you're saying, but just if if they raised rates by another 100 base points tomorrow, it would still be deeply negative. And I'm not sure at all that that would help the return on your bonds. And I really don't think the equity market like uh, would like it. And sure as Keith will remind us, you know, that, you know, cycles are killed or murdered by the fed, but the, I don't know. sorry. I think that's a really good point. I mean, I,
1: not, I, mean, yeah, it ultimately just comes back down to Keith. You yeah, know, It's ultimately what it is. Let's just call it space, babe. It's a sovereign debt bubble. Like it is what it right. is. And, and so you can't, you really can't have, you know, real rates, going positive again, like, I mean, maybe you can for a brief period of time, but it seems like every time real rates, you know, run positive, we end up in some sort of financial crisis. So uh, Keith, I don't know, you're going to chime
2: in there. Yeah, two things. So, so again, just to reiterate, I suspect there are conversations to crush the economy, maybe not crush it, but to, you know, to, to bring it down. So again, don't be shocked if that happens. I just want to share with, uh, with everyone, uh, There's a really good piece that um, I've bookmarked and read it a few times now. It's from the website uh, bankunderground.co.uk. So, Rich, that's for all the Brits out there, Rich. Is this like a conspiracy uh, theory website? No, no, no.
0: It's it's the blog written by the B- Bank of England, right? Keith? Correct, yeah. Okay. It's, it's a
2: really cool article. Just do a search on it. And the title of it is... Venetians, Volcker, and Value at Risk, Eight Centuries of Bond Market Reversals. So th- this was written back in 2017. And, and it does a really good job of, of showing how, again, 2017, you know, you're going out like four or five years ago, how low rates were then, and they were never, ever, ever at that level in the history and this goes back to the 12th century this is the bank of england right and, you know there were all lots of stuff information but again it's just suggesting that at that level investors should expect a pretty big reversal and then they also go through a lot of details on what happens at other reversals so uh, like they, they talk about the period you were talking about earlier rich there uh, i think late 60s by the way like 66 to 82 was this horrible Market for, for equities and the bond market. Yeah, so that's exactly equities. That's, that's what I was talking about. That's the yeah, one. yeah. So for that period, like equities had these whipsaws, like up fifty, down forty, up thirty, down sixty. It was it was, and remember, it's pretty bad back then. But just to share with everyone that if you want to read a, you know, a really cool uh, article and then really impress your friend <laughs> at, at the pub, <laughs> instead of with financial repression stories uh this could help you rich this could really help you uh again venetians Volker, and value at risk eight centuries of bond market reversals now that read it out i think we'll put it in the um, the comments we'll put a link below right maybe financial repression is a better it's a better story that that one sounds snoozy as well by the way are we going to have a a velcro suit in vancouver we should 30 bucks. He sure. has vel- a strap on the Velcro suit and run it yeah. on the wall? With a big rubber band, right? Just to pull someone back and let let them go. I'm not putting on the Velcro suit again. I did it once. What's uh, Rich's, Rich's line there?
1: Did you know the BOJ owns 60% of the <laughs> Japanese government bond market? <laughs>
2: um, okay, BOJ, we need to talk about Japan next, guys. I remember um, I know we, we introduced this maybe 2 episodes ago, 3 episodes ago.
1: Yeah, I think it was a couple episodes ago, but it's obviously it's continuing which is uh just to frame it up for you guys here is the I believe it's the US dollar uh against against the uh Japanese yen there is uh, at a 20 year 20 year high for the US dollar against the yen. So um the yen is getting crushed uh from a currency
2: perspective Keith yeah, the yen is getting um a mullered and for a lot of people who don't know what mullered means. It just means that you're you're getting crushed. I used it in a tweet and a phone conversation this week and two Halifax they're both like what the hell is mullered? I'm like well you're getting mullered, right? It's not good. Um, so yeah, so the yen is getting mullered here. And so the real interesting thing with the Bank of Japan, they're no different than the Fed and the Canadians a couple of years ago and, and everyone else. You know, they're, they're doing QE. Um, but, but Japan has this unusual economy where domestic savings is enough to fund all their debt borrowings. So they don't, they don't need foreign investors, you know, to walk in. Uh, it, not, and all that is demographic driven. And that's now rolled over. Now they do need foreign investors coming in at, at the margin to buy the debt. Of course, they're issuing more and more debt. So the Bank of Japan is buying more and more debt all the time. Uh, but what's happening now, they're starting to get leaks in the bond market. So where bond yields all around the world have started to, to shoot up, you know, as we talked about, you know, Canadian bond investors just got mullered over the last 18 months. Uh, see, everyone's going to use the word. See, see, Rich mullered is a better word to use on your date than... Uh, I'll stick with pressure. financial repression. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what's happening now in, in Japan, there were signs that the, the bond market was about to go out of control. And if that would happen in Japan, you would have enormous losses for the banks and the pension funds and in, insurance companies over there because they're just stuffed to the gills with with bonds. That's what they are. So, the, so whereas quantitative easing... Yeah, yeah, crush, crush the soul out of free markets, capitalism, no more. But instead, what, what the Bank of sorry, Bank of Japan has done, instead of saying, you know, we're gonna spend 50 billion a month on quantitative easing, they simply said, We're gonna spend an unlimited amount of money to make sure the yield on the 10-year Japanese government bond does not exceed 0.25%. End of story. They drew the line in the sand. I said you don't believe us you know test us so the release the relief valve from that comes from the currency right so now people start thinking wow okay i'm gonna can you just get i don't have to sell my bond now uh, to run i can sorry i can now sell my bond at this inflated price because the bank of japan just backed it now i'm going to get out of japan entirely so i sell my japanese bond I sell the yen, buy dollars, or whatever else is out there, and so the yen has been, you know, it's been on this steady decline. So now that you know, everyone in, in, uh, you know, all the guys in, in my network are saying, okay, at which point is has it been too much pain for the Japanese with the currency? Because if they then try to block the currency, then by default the bond market goes so they're, they're in a real bind over there and um, you know I know for years everyone said you know yeah you never bet against Japan it's, it's the widow maker trade and, and all that stuff uh, but 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 things have, have clearly changed we're now in a synchronized global financial situation whereas before it was never synchronized around the world so you, you so that could be the event so I, I've always said that you know, for the Canadian economy to experience a stressful moment, it's going to come from outside of Canada. And I've always thought it would be the Europeans because that's just a gong show over there. Maybe it's Japan. I've always thought the Japanese would be the second last to experience a, a severe crisis, but may, maybe they're the ones, you know, that, that is the igniter for it. So again, I just suggest to everyone, you know, read up on that bond article that we just talked about, um, follow up on japan and, and stuff like that but just recognize that market movements in canada are significantly influenced by events outside of canada and that's that's where we are with it i got one more thing i know you guys are itching to say something but boy the bank of canada just you know what they say you, you got that the hits keep on coming is that what they say the uh by I the said. way like i need a haircut i feel like wolfman jack right this is, you guys don't know wolfman job who's that so, the guys from the 60s I think. <laughs> yeah some of the listeners will. but you know yeah let the let the hits keep coming or rolling they they say so the bank of canada they put out a study remember this is the bank of canada not the looney hour but they put out a study that that said uh, the majority of, of bitcoin investors have very low financial knowledge or That's something me, baby. To, to that effect
0: That's me too baby
2: <laughs> which is kind of ironic right so here's the bank of canada i mean like they're getting mullered of course you know for their reaction is it being proactive to stuff so who, who has lower you know financial uh knowledge is it the bitcoin guys right now or, or the uh the bank of canada guys I, I think it's the bank of canada guys right now i see like that it, the bank of canada like here they are now they're trying to you know, I think it's like the American political side, right? They're trying to get a deflection here, poke, poke a fight with somebody else. So anyway, they're, you know, they're going to attract Hit. the attention of the, what do you guys do with your eyes? Why do you do that? Laser your... eyes, baby. Why is that? I
1: don't know. Just said the Bitcoin crypto community does. I have no idea. I just did it because I think it's hilarious, but. Um, you sound like a follower. Tom Brady did it. Tom Brady did Tom it. Tom <laughs> Brady did it.
0: Yeah.
2: The, laser the real eyes. Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's lost more Super Bowl games than anyone else in history. So, oh wow! Geez. Here we go. That's pr- thank that's you that. Pretty. That's a pretty
1: but, bad record. Um. Of speaking of speaking of the Bank of Canada and financial literacy, I mean, let's just talk about their track record over the past what twenty four months. Which is inflation's transitory. Wrong. Housing pricing. Uh. Just pent up demand. Wrong. Um. And now they're saying, oh well, uh, we can just raise rates, um, uh, to get to fight inflation because. Uh, households can handle higher rates because everyone's got a mortgage stress test and house prices will remain elevated. No change. And they're going to be wrong there again. So anyone that actually believes these guys is like a propaganda machine. Um, and it's, I think the, the propaganda machine is running again saying, oh, anyone that invests in Bitcoin is an idiot um, because, you know, hey, let's call a spade a spade. Central bank digital currency is coming. And um, I think that Bitcoin is essentially a competition for that, right? It's like, it's, I mean, I like to call it it's basically like the digital gold, right? And it's like, you know, those people that are like, let's go back to the gold standard. I mean, like that that competes with like fiat currencies. So um, just keep that in mind when you're reading the global mail or the CBC news, like, you know, a lot of this is just propaganda.
0: There's definitely a hate on for, for Bitcoin. And I think it sort of <laughs> makes me want to hold on to it even more. I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm just too much of a contrarian, but I wanted to correct Keith if I may. Um, you said that all the yields, um, global yields, are falling. There's one country that's pretty big deal that's rising. Seeing their rising, yields... not falling. Sorry, sorry, th- sorry. Fuck, I screwed up. So rich, When, uh, when, gee, the, bond market goes, <laughs> when
2: the bond market goes down, the yields. No, goes no, up. wait.
0: I have something to say that's important, and I think you. I want you to touch on this actually, which is you were saying that all the bond yields were rising, and I said there was one country whose bond yields are falling, and it's China's. And we, we, we said that we were going to touch on that, which was, that I think, in Shanghai. I think we mentioned it briefly last time um, that they're locked down. I mean, there's this great picture going on Twitter about um, all the boats that are parked off the coast of Shanghai. And it just looks like a Jackson Pollock um, sort of... Uh, you know uh, Jackson Pollock kind of um, what's it called um, modern art masterpiece, and it's just these different colors and these arrows. But really, it's just the, it's thousands of boats that are basically parked because China is convinced that they can control the coronavirus.
1: Um, I said that's yeah, like amazing, pure insanity. I actually have a client in Shanghai. He's moving back here. Um, he's Canadian, so everyone relax. Um, but uh, yeah, he's, he's moving back. And uh, so it was chatting with him. I was like, Oh, how's it going over there? And he's like, well, he's like, you know, the foods, the food shortage stuff, he says it's a little bit overblown by like Western media, but he's like the, the quarantine camps. He's like, those are like insane. He's like, Oh, they're legit. And they are terrifying. Like they're over, they're overrun. And he's like, so he's telling me that like someone will test positive for COVID like three days ago. And like, there's no room for them at these quarantine camps. So like, once there's room they come they come and grab you out of your room like three or four days later um it's yeah it's it's nuts man like i mean i don't i don't blame people for wanting to get out of that country and and park money into canadian housing market you know because it's like geez like it's yeah it's insane
0: yeah i mean there's some i mean you know, it's it's because you, you laugh or else you cry. I mean, there's some horrible, horrible stories about that. The people like um like babies basically being taken away from their mothers because they have positive COVID tests. Like I mean infants, excuse me. I mean, there's some there's aren't some they, pretty like, nasty stuff aren't there. Like beating but the, aren't
1: they like beating dogs that have like COVID and stuff? Like
0: oh they they, they were there at one point I know in Hong Kong though they, they were killing, I think, guinea pigs or something. <laughs> they were there was like they culled a bunch of animals. I mean Mercifully, I think Canada's sort of stepped off the gas for that that insanity, and I think we've just realized that it's got to burn through our our our, our economy before it's um, before long, uh, and we're not really going to be able to control it. But the reason I bring up the Shanghai thing is just because it relates obviously to growth um, and relates to inflation. And you know, as as sanguine as I've been about sort of the supply chain constraints, I think it's just something that's I'm definitely going to, um, that might get worse actually before it gets better. Um, which is something that sort of caught me off guard Speaking of things that you got wrong. Um, I was definitely, I thought the supply chain was going to get better over the last, you know, six months.
1: Well, it's a mess there. there. I think we, uh, I think, I think that's a good way to, to wrap it up here. Basically let's, uh, let's see how policymakers, react and digest to inflation and how far rates will go. Cause I think this is really gearing up to be an absolute shit show. <laughs> uh, there is no polite way of, of putting it. And um, you know, as always, we appreciate your guys' support. Like I said, go check out the, uh, go check out the uh, event bright page. We'll have that set up on all our social media platforms, 30 bucks a ticket. We'd love to see you in Vancouver. It's going to be a blast. Like I said, we'll do sort of a live pod, uh, for the weeks who get sort of early access to that, obviously. And we'll just have some drinks and and you know chat markets and be great to shake some hands here and see some faces. And uh, like I said, we continue to appreciate the uh, the support from the Looney Hour, growing the audience. Uh, like we said, just share this episode with one person. And uh, as always, we'll see you next week.